Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never learn. This one began as a threat of a beating that turned into murder with a brown-eyed blonde, a jovial hippopotamus, and a tough ex-soldier of fortune, all complicating the problem until I got next to the key man. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, stardust Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Key Man. Along about dusk, Hollywood Boulevard is some desolate place between the end of work and the start of play and about as boisterous as taps. So except for a sallow-faced masher leaning against a nearby storefront warming up his evening leer, I was alone on a lot of fancy pavement when I walked up to the box office of the Newsreel Theater near Cahuenga. Paid my 40 cents admission, tax included, and started inside, where, of all places, I was to meet my new client, one Mark Hummel. He'd called my office at 6.35, and in a tight voice, fringed with fear, urged me to find him in the last row, last seat, far left, of the Boulevard Cinema at once, if I could use a $50 bill. It was exactly a quarter to seven when I crossed the length of lobby to aisle four and entered the theater proper, which was almost empty. It was two minutes after that before I could see well enough to tell that the man all alone in the aforementioned seat, who wore white French cuffs protruding out of gray flannel, a pleated frown and not paying any attention to the bathing beauties on the screen who were water skiing through Florida's Cypress Gardens, had to be my client. I eased in and sat down next to him. I could see he was watching me out of the corner of his eye. Marla? Yeah. My plane leaves for New York in half an hour. Watch it, honey. You ought to see that I'm on it and in good health. Who wants it otherwise? Barney Kovac, an ex-soldier of fortune who thinks with his fists. He works as straw boss in a garage where they park cars. He's threatened to kill me with his bare hands. Why? What'd you do? Nothing, nothing. It was perfectly legitimate. Mm -hmm. He had a chance to get out of Hippo Link's place. Uh, get out of whose place? Hippo Link. Oh. Uh, Kovac had a chance to buy a location of his own. But you got there first. Look, Mr. Hummer, why don't we continue this in the lounge? It's quieter out there. Uh, yes, with a few things. Yeah, yeah, come on. <clears throat> oh, this is better. Uh, come on, we can talk over here. So uh, you beat Kovac out of the property he wanted. Then what happened? And when he found out, he went crazy. <laughs> he swore I bribed the real estate broker, high-pressured the owner. Mm. All that kind of wild talk, you know. Mm. Now, Marla, the place I bought from under him is a good investment. Oh, yes, yes. But chicken feed compared to the deal I'm going to close in New York tomorrow. If I get there. So for 50 bucks, I'm to see that you do just that, huh? Uh, yes, but I've already uh, made your work easier. I told Hippo Link... Uh, all 300 pounds of him. Oh? I told him in a loud voice this afternoon that I was going out of town by train at 7 tonight, figuring, of course, that Kovac, who's nearby, but wouldn't do anything with people around, would uh, overhear me. Mm-hmm. And your connection with Hippo is what? I park my car in his garage, period. Anyhow, at 5.30 tonight, I drove downtown to the Union Station. 
I left my car on the lot there and went inside. After which you doubled back, got outside into a cab and headed for here in a comfortable wait until plane time, which you're afraid might not fool anybody, including the tough Mr. Kovacs, since you've hired me, right? Uh, yes, that's right. I never caught sight of him trailing me, Marlowe, and uh, frankly, well, I'm... I'm afraid of him. Can you understand that? Sure. Fear is always understandable. Well, what's the itinerary, Mr. Hummel? Here to the airport? Uh, no, 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 no. First to my house. I still have a bag to pack. I'll take a cab you follow in your car. Then wait outside my place. That's 4100 Fountain, just below La Siena. Yeah, I know. Yes. Now, uh, when I get back into the cab, you follow again until I'm safe aboard the plane. Yes. Now, here. Here's your money. Right. Anything else? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you carry a gun, Mr. Hummel? Ordinarily, no. But tonight, Marlowe, yes. It's a service gun, 45. And believe me, if I have to use it, I will. Now, let's get out of here. I was 20 minutes playing follow the leader up through Hollywood to Fountain Avenue as far as the neat cube of stucco that was number 4100, where I parked behind the taxi lights out and waited until I heard a frightened scream from what had to be Mark Hummel. I piled out of my car and darted past the cabbie who said he had enough trouble in his life and ran up the front steps and into the house where in the light of a single overturned lamp in the bedroom, I found my client face down in a widening pool of his own blood. I started for the rest of the rooms, but then the sound of a motor roaring out of the alley behind the house told me I was wasting my time. When I returned to the bedroom, one glance at Hummel's still form said that the man who had been afraid for his life only 30 minutes ago was already very dead. Next to his body was the 45 he never got to use, and alongside of that, the miniature crystal ball splattered with blood that had killed him. There was a key which I found fit the front door, lying in the middle of the carpet. The drawers and closets were all open, as well as his half-packed suitcase. It was a good time to call the police. Homicide, Detective Lieutenant Matthews speaking. Marlowe, Lieutenant, I'm at 4100 Fountain, and standing next to a man named Mark Hummel, who used to be a client. He's dead, Matthews, murdered. Oh, any idea who did it, Phil? Well, I got an idea it might be a lot of muscle called Bonnie Kovac, who works in a garage on Santa Monica Boulevard. You sure it wasn't a robbery killing? No. We've had a lot of second storage jobs there, about every three weeks in that neighborhood. I'm not sure of anything yet, but you see, I was high. Uh-oh, company lieutenant. I'll catch up to you later. Mark, I... Oh, I beg your pardon. Is, is Mr. Hummel in? Yes and no. Did he expect you? Well, no, he didn't. Who are you? Philip Marlowe. Well, is Mark in or not? Yes, he's in. You'll find him in here, if you insist. Oh, thank you. I'm sorry I bit your head off, but what I have to... Oh, no. He's dead? Shot with that? No, no, it's his own gun. He was beaten to death with that glass ball there. Oh. That key is his, too. It fits the front door. I already tried it, and then I put it back when I found it, since the police appreciate neatness on the scene. But that doesn't make sense. Mark always carried his keys in a leather case that should be right there in his right pocket. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. House key with a bunch of others, and, uh... Yeah, this one matches the one on the floor. How'd you know about this? Oh, I- I'm an old friend of Mark's, Marlowe. You'd have to be. What were you in such a hurry to tell him? I, I don't remember. Maybe I can help you. Maybe it was a little message you were going to deliver from Barney Kovac. I don't know anyone by that name. And since that leaves us with very little in common, Marlowe, I think I'll leave with only this forty-five here for companionship. Oh, fine. Now, get over there against the wall and turn your back. Well, go on. Now what? And don't move until you hear me drive away. 
or your health will suddenly be very, very poor. Good night. When Little Red Riding Hood slammed out of the place, I knew I could either follow her or wait for Matthews to siren up to the front door and then tell all. One last look around the room, including the key in the middle of the carpet, made me change my mind again. If the key could be traced, it might be a definite link to Kovac, so I headed for Hippo Link's garage on Santa Monica Boulevard in the hope of further information about a hot-tempered man who worked there. Less than five minutes later, I was walking down a cement ramp that dropped from the street level into an acre of underground parking space filled with a crowd of heavy with chromium cars that belonged to the fashionable neighborhood nearby. Hippo himself was a perspiring oval, approximately 5'8", measured in any direction, with tiny eyes, tiny nose, and a dozen chins that danced when he laughed, which seemed to be always. He was standing next to a pickup truck marked Ace Battery Shop, so talking to the driver. Hit, huh? And because of that, you want more money for him, huh? <laughs> that, I suppose, is easy to get. Now, look, Hippo, Listen, I... Plume, I won't pay anymore. My overhead's too high already. So if you can't get them for me at the same price, forget the whole deal. Besides, I don't like the way you do business anyhow. Meaning what, Hippo? Meaning that when I give you an order, Plume, I want it delivered to me in person, not to just any flunky that's standing around. Okay, okay. That was a slip. It won't happen again. Yeah, not twice it won't. <laughs> Goodbye, Plume. I got customers. Hey, can I help you, mister? Maybe. I'm looking for Barney Kovac. Is he around? Uh, no. Why? What do you want him for? Maybe murder. What? Barney, he killed someone? Uh, wait a minute. Plume, I said goodbye. Go on, beat it. Okay, okay, Hippo. I'll see you around. Listen, let's go in the office here, mister. A little quieter. Uh, sit down. Thanks. You a cop? No, private detective. Name's Marlow, Hippo. Marlow, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> never heard of you. <laughs> but then, uh, I, I never heard of a lot of people, huh? <laughs> Mm, that's right, Hippo. People like, for instance, Mark Hummel. <laughs> Why him, Marlowe? He was the one Kovac killed. Well, 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 what do you know? Doesn't seem to break you up. Why should it? Hummel was a louse, Marlowe. Everybody said so. Of course, I didn't know him personally, except a joke with him when he brought his car in. You know, a little laugh goes a long way with some guys. <laughs> mm. Tell me, Hippo, did you know that Hummel was going out of town? Yeah, he told me this afternoon. Should have gone yesterday, huh? <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> okay. Okay, so you don't like jokes. I no. can play it straight. What do you want? For an opener, this. A tall blonde with brown eyes and a pretty face who knows how to handle a forty-five as well as conversation walked in here. Would you know her? Am I? Could be Rhonda Beaumont, Barney's girl. She lives in a plush apartment over at 38 Sweetser Drive, just above the Strip. How does she figure? Probably great in a Catalina swimsuit, but in this deal, I'm not sure. She might have put me on the right track by setting me straight about a key to Hummel's apartment that I found next to his body. Wasn't his. A key? Hmm. There, the design on it, near the top, the round part was like a fancy figure eight. Mean anything to you? Not being a locksmith, no. <laughs> anything else? Yeah. Where can I find Barney Kovac? How would I know? He quit at five today, just like he does every day. And I quit at nine, Marlowe, which happens to be right now. So, goodbye, mister. Just like that? Yeah, just like that. You see, if I work late, Marlowe, I got to pay myself overtime. <laughs> that hurts because I can't afford it. <laughs> see what I mean, boy? <laughs> I was
was out on the street and behind the wheel of my car before I saw the man in the back seat who had a snub-nosed 38 leveled at my hairline. He looked rugged enough to be no one else but Barney Kovac. Drive, Marlowe. Straight to the corner of Melrose and Orange Drive. I live over a store there, and it's quiet. So we can talk without being disturbed. Come on, drive! Right ahead of you, Marlowe. One with a closed transom. Keep walking. And when I get there? Then you'll go inside, sit down, and rest while you listen. To what? To the truth, Marlowe. I've been following you long enough tonight to know that you're off your rocker. You see, fella, I didn't kill Hummel. Yeah, I know. He's double-jointed. It was suicide. Slugged himself from behind. All right, he cut was... it. Here, here's a key. Open up. Okay. Hey, you made a mistake, Kovac. Wrong key. What are you talking about? Let me see that. Sure. With pleasure. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> now that I got your gun, bud, try it yourself. Come on, Kovac. Close quarters make me nervous. You're making a mistake, Marlowe. Yeah, yeah, sure I am. The guys who are off their rocker always do, remember? Now get over there in that chair and behave while I use your phone. Marlowe, don't move or I'll kill you. Hippo. Barney, take the gentleman's gun. It's heavy for him. Uh, sure. Here, now here, boy. Here's some money. Get clear of L.A. till this thing's all cleaned up. You're in a bad spot. I know, but I didn't kill Hummel, Hippo. you got to believe me. Yeah, by all means. Barney, my boy, if you say it, I believe it. But others won't be that accommodating, I'm sure, so go on. And no matter what you do, don't worry about Marlowe. Huh? Nah, he won't be following you. <laughs> you can count on that, Barney. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, programs on a summer Sunday afternoon come to you at home, in your cars, on the beaches, and 101 other places where you are at ease. And for your leisure time listening, what is better than music? Every Sunday afternoon, CBS brings you two outstanding programs of music. Gems from the great composers played by the Symphonette. And the sweet, memorable songs of the outstanding modern composers and semi-classicists sung by the Choraleers. Each program is designed especially for fine, summer Sunday afternoon listening. Hear both the Symphonette and the Choraleers tomorrow afternoon on most of these same CBS network stations. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Key Man. The gun wrapped in the thick, fat fists of Hippo looked like a toy as he leveled it at my chest while Kovac got away. And the fat boy kicked the door shut, leaned his ponderous 300 pounds against it and smiled. The smile faded gradually and finally died, but the muzzle of the gun in his hand didn't so much as twitch until the battered alarm clock on the dresser had clanked off a monotonous 15 minutes. At that point, Hippo Link leaved his face up into another smile, waddled across the room and laid the gun down on the table in front of me. Okay, Marlo, you behaved yourself real nice. Barney's got all the head start he'll need, so you can leave now. You know something, Link? You're not only fat between the sleeves, you're overweight between the ears, too. Helping a suspect escape doesn't sit well at headquarters. Now, now just a minute, boy. You're kind of jumping to conclusions, aren't you? You were putting the muscle on a friend of mine, and I helped him out. That's all that happened so far, so... <laughs> you look a little silly running me in on that. But if you still want to try, boy, the gun's right there on the table. 
Okay, Hippo, you win for now. But don't think I buy that silly one, two, three story of yours. I may not be Peck's bad boy, but I don't see you as Sir Galahad either. <laughs> well, how do you put the story together then? <laughs> I don't know that that's any of your business, and even if I thought it were, I wouldn't tell you. But I'll let you in on this much. I don't know for sure that Kovac is guilty, but then I don't know for sure where you or Kovac's girl, Rhonda Beaumont, fit either. Mm, I wouldn't know. You said you knew her. So? You seem to think a good deal of that kid, Kovac. So? So couldn't it be possible she paid you to come up here and see that her boyfriend got away? <laughs> like you said, Marlo, I don't know that it's any of your business. <laughs> How much cash does it take for you to stick your neck out as far as you have, huh? Or could it be you've got a thing going for Kovac's girl and would be glad to see him out of town? <laughs> ah, you're kidding, yeah. boy. <laughs> Look, why don't you loan? What's it to you now? My client was knocked off right under my nose, remember? Are you going to let me out of solitary? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Pick up your pistol and run. <laughs> and if you need me for any more help, why, be sure and let me know. left Hippo standing in Kovac's flat, and downstairs I stopped in a phone booth long enough to have the latest developments for what they were worth relayed to Lieutenant Matthews. And I drove out to where Sweetser turned straight up into the hills and parked in front of number 38, the Murrow Apartments, a terraced heap of pastel plaster and angled glass in which Rhonda Beaumont had a first-floor front. I took a look at the large, private view of the city as I crossed the small, private patio and knocked on the substantial private entrance. When it cracked open, I helped it along just enough to step inside. Fast! Marlo! You will come in, won't you, whether you're asked or not? Yes, and it's sweet of you to ask me, Rhonda. Is, uh, is he here? He? Hmm. In a city of four million, half of which are male, that borders on being a stupid question. But the answer is no in any case, because until you strong-armed your way in here, I was alone. I can't buy it. I figure Bonnie's the kind of a boy that would want to take stuff like you right along with him when he leaves. Bonnie leaving? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about? He's running away from that mess over on Fountain. He's leaving town. You're lying. I've heard enough uh -uh. from you, Mark. I'll take the handbag, baby. Oh, you... Mm. Heavy enough to have that cute forty-five caliber compact inside, right? Okay, it's in there. Take it. I don't care. But look, Marlowe, is that the truth about Barney leaving town? As if you didn't know, yes. And while we're on that subject, why did you show up at Mark Hummel's place tonight? Well, I went there to warn him about Barney. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you were in love with Kovac. I am. Do I have to draw you a picture? Barney Kovac's strong and reckless, but he was trying hard, awfully hard, to get started for himself, and then... Well, I, I used to go with Mark before I met Barney, and, and because of that, Mark deliberately beat him out of the best deal he'd ever had, the louse. Just to spite me. Well, Barney was furious, and I knew something terrible would happen if they ever got together, so so I went to tell Mark to stay out of his way, that's all. You got there a little too late, is that it? I don't know. Well, at least give me a handkerchief out of my bag, Marlo, darn it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Here, I, uh... Hey, hey, these keys. Rhonda, this one, the one with the figure-eight design, where'd you get it? Oh, it's my new door key. Yeah, I know, but where'd you get it? I don't know. Barney had it made for me one day while we were having lunch. Who's the guy who made it? I don't know. Where were you eating that day? Oh, Hungarian place on Fairfax near Santa Monica. Well, where are you going, Marlo? Fairfax near Santa Monica. Here's your bag, Rhonda, and if you got any sense, stay put and try real hard not to shoot anybody. At least until I call. Okay. <laughs> Along, baby. Bye. <laughs> 
Some mess. Read all about it. Late extra papers. It's all over now. Paper, mister? No, thanks, kid. Tell me something. Where's a locksmith on this block? Locksmith? No, there ain't none. Oh, come on. Sure there is. A guy who makes keys. It's got to be. Think hard, will you? It's important. Think hard, he says. Look, mister, I know this whole neighborhood like the back of my own hand. No key maker. Uh-huh. Well, how about a guy who sharpens saws, scissors, things like that? No. Nothing like that. Mm. We got uh, filling stations, bars, a delicatessen, drugstore, shoemaker, dry goods store, three restaurants. One's Hungarian. That's on Fairfax. Yeah, mm-hmm. Ace Battery Shop there across Ace the street. Battery a toy shop. store on the corner. A lampshade joint. Shop. Wait a minute. Street. Hold it. Battery. Ace Battery. Plume. Uh, uh, plume. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Old man Plume owns the joint. Uh. A real sour apple, you know what I mean? Place a dump, too, but he works hard. He's probably over there right now, working in the back room. Bless you, my boy. Thanks a lot. Yeah, who is it? Customer, my battery's dead. You gotta help me. Now look, mister, my place is closed up. Come back. Hey, what is this? Sorry, Plume, but tomorrow's a long way off. This is an emergency. Now take it easy and you'll be okay. I got a job for you, and it's got to be done tonight. Well, listen, I said my place... Shut is... up! Now, get this, Plume. I'm a friend of Hippo Lynx and Bonnie Kovacs, all of which makes you perfect for my job. Now, what kind of a job are you talking about? This. It's a key. Duplicated. A key? Hey, buddy, this is a battery shop. I can't make keys here. In the first place, you got to have a license. I said this was an emergency, didn't I? Get busy. With what? My fingernails? I don't know how to cut keys. Somebody's stringing you, pal, and I... Bloom, keep away from that drawer! Well, 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 well. Whole drawer full of blank keys, huh? That 38 in the drawer here must be that license you spoke of. Come on, you get up. Wait, wait. Leave leave me alone. I I didn't do anything. Now listen, Plume. I want one straight answer out of you. Fast. You made a delivery to Link's garage sometime today, and it wasn't batteries. Who'd you give it to? Come on. I... I I left it with Barney Kovac. He was the only one around, but it was nothing, an envelope. Yeah, full of keys. Thanks very much for your help, Plume, but I'm in a hurry. And just so I'll be sure to see you later, good night! I ran out to my car, piled in, and headed straight out Santa Monica for La Cienega. And when I got within sight of the dark cabinet's entrance to Hippo Link's underground storage garage, I slowed down and looked for a phone that I could use to call Matthews and still keep an eye on the garage because the way things stood now, I couldn't afford to miss a lick. But then I got a break. I decided to try a mobile gas station on the corner when the scream of a siren shoved me up against the curb and a squad car swerved out from a side street, ground to a rubber-burning stop in front of the garage and disgorged Matthews himself and the driver on the double. I slammed out of my coupe and belted across the street after him. Matthews! Hey, Matthew! Oh, oh, get back! Over this way! We get Kovac corner down inside there. You're just... In now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Matthews, you got this deal all wrong. Oh, no, we haven't. I got two out and back. He's trapped. We'll get him No, no, no. Right. Hold everything, Matthews. Listen to me. I'm going down there and talk to hey, him. No, I'll no, be no, back no. in a minute. Oh, oh, come back here, fool! Kovac! Kovac, this is Marlowe. Come on out. I got all the answers now, Barney. I just had a talk with Plume, and I got a lot of truth out of him. Come on, Barney. You're not helping anything. Help! Marlowe! Marlowe! Phil, you all right? It's my shoulder, Matthews. Oh, I knew this had happened sometime. Oh. It, it, no, this cover. Oh, no, listen to me. Don't shoot. Don't. Look at my arm. <sighs> listen, Matthews, Kovac didn't do it. What? The shot that got me came from back there on the other side. Yeah, that's it, Pete. Further back. There. There he is, Matthews. That's the boy. That's the fat guy who runs this That's joint. right. Yeah, Hippo Link. Second Lieutenant, he's your killer. Stop, Link. Stop. 
I got him, Phil. He's down. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's one nice thing about Hippo. You can't you, you can't miss him. Oh, thanks. I I I think I better sit down a minute. Feeling better now? Oh, great, great. Uh, you can't beat these hospital beds for comfort, Lieutenant. <laughs> I'm getting one for my apartment. You can crank it into 30 different positions, you know that? Yeah, yeah, I know. The doc says you got off with a flesh wound. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're pretty lucky, Phil. <laughs> and I just stopped by to tell you they saved Hippo Link, so he'll have to be tried. It won't be much, though. He's already admitted everything. Oh, what about Plume? Did you get anything on uh... him? So groggy, hardly knew his own name when we picked him up. Yeah, it was quite a racket they had, Matthews. Yeah, smooth, smooth. Every rich customer come into Hippo's garage, left his house key with his car keys, was a cinch to be burglarized sooner or later. Yeah, Plume cuts a duplicate key, they find out when the people are away, and that's all they need. Some setup. But sure backfired on him tonight. Hummel went to a lot of trouble to tell Hippo that he was leaving town at seven just to throw Bonnie off his trail. But Hippo took it as a great opening for his racket. So Hummel came home right in the middle of the burglary, and Hippo had to kill him to get out of the way. That's it? Oh, by the way, hmm? a friend of yours out here. Oh? Yeah. I'll get him. Come on in, Bonnie. He's feeling fine. Oh, swell. Hi, Mr. Marlowe. Hi. I guess Rhonda and I owe you quite a vote of thanks. You owe me nothing but an explanation, Kovac. Why'd you run? Oh, I don't know. Half the way I shot my mouth off about Hummel, I figured I was hooked for sure when he turned up dead. Once I started running, I couldn't stop. Kept getting worse. Yeah, it's exactly what Hippo figured. That's one I don't get, Marlowe. Why did he help me in the first place? He had to, brother. Hippo knew that my best clue was an extra door key. He also knew that Plume had left a bunch of keys with you to give to him. He was sure that if we ever got together and talked about keys, he'd be stuck. But as it turned out, I got the same lead anyway from the key Plume made for Rhonda. Uh, hey, Matthews. Yeah? Crack me up in the middle, will you? What, like this, Phil? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's perfect. <laughs> Barney, turn off that reading lamp, will you please? Sure. Yeah. Anything else, Marlowe? Uh, yeah, yeah. You see that no visitor sign there? Yeah. Well, just hang it on the door on your way out. <laughs> I'm here for three days, fellas. I'm going to make the best of them. Good night, all. left, I nestled down to the solid comfort of clean sheets and quiet darkness. And my eyes were almost closed when it happened. The light snapped on. A pair of efficient hands grabbed me, stabbed an inch of hypodermic needle into my right arm, jammed a cold, hard thermometer under my tongue and splashed a half a pint of icy alcohol on my back. Oh, it was awful. But when it was over, she looked back from the door and smiled before she went out. Red-headed nurse and very pretty. <laughs> Only then did I notice the set of keys she'd forgotten on my medicine table. One was thick with a figure-eight design. It was her door key. And for just a moment, I wondered foolishly if I could get a hold of Mr. Plume again somewhere. For just a few minutes. Ah, <laughs> oh, cut it out, Marlowe. Go to sleep.
Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Vivi Janis, Parley Bear, Jack Moyles, Howard McNear, Shep Menken, and Don Oreck. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dobkin. The special music is written by Richard O'Ron. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... It was going to be a vacation in the wide open spaces, but a black stallion, a tiny emerald, and a battered horseshoe meant a 24-hour delay. It could have been worse, because to the dude from Manhattan, they meant death. Most of us think we are free of tuberculosis, yet how many of us make sure with periodic chest x-rays that we have no symptoms of this dread disease? Anyone can have TB without being aware of it. In the early stages, there are often no signs, and yet it is in this early stage when it is most important for the disease to be detected. So remember, TB can be cured if you catch it in time. Make an appointment for that chest x-ray immediately. This is Roy Rowan speaking. Stay tuned now for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of the same CBS network stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. This time it was going to be a vacation in the wide open spaces. But a black stallion, a tiny emerald, and a battered horseshoe met a 24-hour delay. It could have been worse. Because to the dude from Manhattan, they meant death. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy. As we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Dude from Manhattan. Every so often, life in the city seems to boil down to nothing but noise and concrete. Where all a deep breath does for you is to pack more exhaust fumes into your lungs. And the nearest thing to nature is a mangy sparrow pecking survival out of a dirty alley. So when I got a long-distance call from an old friend inviting me to spend a week in the great outdoors at a ranch he just bought near Rattlesnake Mountain, <laughs> I snapped at the chance. Inside an hour, I was rolling down the highway toward San Bernardino. And 120 miles later, at 5 o'clock, I turned in under a big arch of gnarled cedar that spelled out Rainbow Ranch. But the layout beyond was about as primitive as a dry martini. A ranch house the size of Union Station was backed up by blue tile swimming pool, paved tennis court, and a semicircle of bungalows with all the rustic charm of a Hollywood motel. I drove on in slowly as a broad-brimmed hat, red gabardine shirt, hickok belt, and hand-tooled boots bounced out the door and ran toward me. 
It was my host, the ex-hotel man, Harold R. Lawson. Oh, rascal. How are you, boy? I am sure glad you can make it. File out, and I'll show you around. Hey, what is all this, Harold? <laughs> From your phone call, I expected a shack with oil lamps, a wood stove, and at least a few head of cattle. Oh, you mean I didn't tell you? Why, this is a guest ranch, Phil. Guest ranch. The best in the West. Oh, brother. <laughs> oh, and incidentally, don't call me Harold. No, huh? Bad atmosphere for the dudes. The name's Buck now. Buck Lawson. Buck? Oh, 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 no. Oh, I got a real spread here, Phil. Real spread. Fourteen big cabins, string of 30 horses, stables down there. Well, hello, Buck. Beautiful day, isn't it? Howdy, folks. Sure is. <clears throat> Mr. and Mrs. Doverman. He's a big van and storage man in L.A. Oh. As I was saying, it. Thunder! Who's coming? Red Rider? Uh, not funny, Phil. Not funny. Look. It's thunder. Oh, that black devil, he's loose again. That horse will kick the fence down if those fools don't hold him. Hey, hey, that's some animal. He's a beauty. Yes, and a renegade. A skittish, temperamental bronco with anybody but Virgil Sawyer. Yeah? Oh, they got a rope on him now. That'll hold him, huh? Yeah, not for long. Sawyer's the only hand I've got who can get close to that stallion. And he's leaving tomorrow. Blast it. How come? Well, frankly, that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, ah, wait a minute. I came up here for a rest, not a job. I know, I know. You'll get it, Phil. You'll get it. But uh, since you're here, I figure you could sort of keep your eyes open for me. Lawson, it's a dirty trick. No, 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 Phil, please. I'm expecting trouble, and bluntly, I can't afford it. Mm. Every cent I've got is tied up in this ranch. A serious scandal could ruin me. And you're just the one who can keep that sort of okay, thing Okay, okay. So it's the old hotel business on horseback. How does this Sawyer mean trouble? Well, there's a couple here from the east, the Mortons. He's a top silk wholesaler from New York and rich. Oh? And that kind means everything to me, Phil. But his wife, Judy, an ex-dance instructor with Arthur Murray back east, is... Well, she's bored stiff out here. And the upshot of it all is that somehow... Mm -hmm. Somehow she and your cowboy Sawyer started making eyes at each other and the husband got nasty about it, huh? How did you know that? Yeah, well, it's standard, like a B-picture plot. Well, anyway, they came to blows this morning. Maybe Virgil's innocent, maybe not, but I can't take a chance, so I fired him. Ordered him to pack and get off the place by tomorrow. Well, that's that. What are you worried about? Plenty. Sawyer's a proud man, Marlowe. He, he was furious. He threatened to get even. I'm not sure he means it, but if he does, well, that's what we have to look out for. The we, huh? Now, look, Buck, you built me into coming up here, and I got a good notion to turn wait, around... Wait, wait, wait. Hold it, Phil. What's the matter? You see that couple going into cabin number eight? Yeah? That's the couple I'm talking about. The Mortons, Paul and Judy. Cabin eight, huh? But don't tell me. Just let me guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're right, Phil. You've got number seven. Mm. Okay. Yeah, sure. Number seven it is. I'll be seeing you, Buck. I walked up to number seven and waited for the boy to show up with my bag. Then I started to unpack, but stopped when I heard a riot next door. At that point, sprawling Rainbow Ranch was just a horizontal tenement. Nothing more. Well, let me point out a few... Now what are you doing? Shutting the window. Isn't it bad enough to make a fool of yourself in private? You have to make a public scene as well? The voices rattled on for a few minutes, then dwindled off into a long and golden silence that said maybe a peace treaty had been signed. But then a door slammed to number eight, so I peeked out. It was Morton. And from the look on his face, I knew the peace treaty was nothing but an armed truce. I followed him to the big lodge and into the bar, and when he sat down, I took the stool next to him. Well, uh, what'll it be, gentlemen? Scotch and water, no ice. Uh, the same, with ice. Well, Mr. Morton, I guess that brands us as dudes, huh? <laughs> Bourbon's the only drink out west. I wouldn't know, I'm sure. Oh, it's a fact. Uh, hey, that's a handsome ring you got there. And the initials are the same as mine. Those stones are emeralds, aren't they? That's right. Yeah. 
There's supposed to be four of them. One's missing, I see. Is that an emerald, too? It was. Happens to be my birthstone. Oh, here you are, gentlemen. Oh, fine. Allow me, Mr. Morton. There you are. Oh, thank you, sir. How'd you lose it? Stone, I mean. I don't know. It happened several months ago, and in any case, it's no concern of yours. Now, if you don't mind, I'd just as soon be left alone. Oh, well, that's too bad. Here I was hoping I'd find out all about the silk business. The silk? What do you mean by that? Oh, just conversation. You are in that business, aren't you? Of course, but... Hey, who are you, anyway? Name's Marlowe. And just why are you prying into my personal affairs, Mr. Marlowe? Because I got a little free advice for you. Cool off before you start the kind of fire you can't put out, huh? So that's it. That cowboy saw you. Mm-hmm. Marlowe, now you're getting too personal. I suggest that you mind your own business. Oh, I'm sorry. Didn't mean to lose my temper that way. Good night. Yeah, it's bound to be. Charming, isn't he? Well, Mrs. Morton, where'd you come from? I was standing over there watching. My husband has all the social grace of a tarantula. Well, maybe you should have looked closer before you made the leap. Oh, that's the wonderful thing about him. Yeah? You're not apt to like Paul much when you first meet him. But once you get to know him, you hate him. Yeah, I'm not sure that's funny. It's not supposed to be. I've been living with him for six months now. So jealous, it's unbelievable. He wouldn't leave me in New York, oh no. Insisted on dragging me out to this... This dust bowl with running water. Why a ranch, I'll never understand. He doesn't know one end of a horse from another. Well, with his aptitude, he'll learn. <laughs> you know, it might be, he figured you two might get back together if you had a chance to relax in the open, Mrs. Morton. Mm-hmm. So he said. However, we weren't here ten minutes before he accused me of getting romantic with that leather-faced cowboy. Does that make sense? I don't know. Both gentlemen are justified. You're lovely to look at. Somebody ought to remind my husband. <laughs> His idea of welding a marriage is to spend all his time playing gin with that Doverman. Who? Doverman, the van and storage character from Los Angeles. Oh. Which, of course, leaves me saddled with his wife, Carrie. Now, there's a cute personality for you if you happen to like neurotic parrots. So, what with the desert, the dame, and gin rummy, Virgil began to look pretty good, is that it? Excuse me, folks. Uh, Care to order another drink before dinner? Yes, I would. And I'd like it over there, alone. Make it Manhattan, bartender. Strictly Manhattan. And make it double. Mr. Marlowe, good night. Hmm. No, I'm not so sure. It was almost dark when I left the bar and headed down to the bunkhouse where the working personnel of Rainbow Ranch called home. The casual clutter of rumpled cots, scattered pulp fiction, and dusty boots gave it the only sign of authenticity I'd seen in the entire place. But aside from that, it was empty. Then a noise from outside brought me around the building to the back where I ran up against six and a half lean feet of solitary cowboy with his hat shoved back on his head, pitching horseshoes. (laughs) He was out of uniform for a flashy dude wrangler, which left him in a faded blue shirt and Levi's that fitted his lanky legs like a pair of bent stovepipes. He spotted me and stood there swinging a battered horseshoe in each hand while I walked up to him. Hello. Hiya, Sawyer. Little dark for horseshoes, isn't it? Little... Hey, hey, you're good. (laughs) Good at horses, too, huh? I understand you're the only man who can handle that black stallion, Thunder. Yeah. What's the secret? No secret. Just have to treat him right. What's on your mind, mister? The fact that you're leaving tomorrow. I reckon you better keep out of my business. Uh, Now, look, Sawyer, it takes at least two to make a fight. And fights are poison to Buck Lawson. So? I don't like to see my friends poisoned. Now, uh, why don't you take it easy, huh? Lay off. Keep your nose clean. I don't know who you are, mister, but 
I'll tell you this anyway, seeing as you're so interested. I'm leaving here tomorrow, all right. And I'm going to square up with a couple of folks first before I go. I got a raw deal here, and I'm just not the kind to take it laying down. What do you mean, raw deal? You're a big boy now. You ought to know better than to get yourself all involved. I'm not much for conversation, fella, but I'm going to say something real plain so you'll be sure to sell me. Oh! By the time I got myself untangled and back on my feet, the strong, silent fugitive from the old Chisholm Trail was gone. However, my original theory that it takes two to make a fight was still valid. So I decided to find Paul Morton and spend the rest of the evening close to him. His cabin was dark, but I remembered the running gin game he had with a big van and storage man. So I went down the line to the Doverman cabin and knocked. It was Carrie, the perennial dude, who galloped up to open the door. Howdy, stranger. Come on in and set a spell. Our latch is always stringing out. Well, I sure do thank you, ma'am. My name's Marlowe. Orville, this is Mr. Marlowe. <laughs> Howdy, Marlowe. Howdy. Hope you'll excuse the looks of the place. Our box of extra clothes just arrived from town. Carrie's been unpacking it. Sit down there, Mr. Marlowe. They're mostly old things. Just throw them on the floor. Oh, thanks. But really, I can't stay. I'm looking for Paul Morton. I thought I might find him here. Morton? Say, there's a nice chap. Met, met him day before yesterday for the first time. And won $90 off him in gin already. Haven't seen him tonight, though. Orville was out looking for him himself just a few minutes ago. Weren't you, dear? Why, yes. As a matter of fact, I was. You didn't locate him, huh? No, I didn't. You know, he seemed to be all upset this afternoon. Couldn't keep his mind on the game. I thought I'd have a little chat with him to calm him down some. Orville's a whiz at that, Mr. Marlowe. Oh, it's not me, Carrie. It's this country. I don't see how a man can keep trouble in his mind on a place like this ranch, Marlowe. It can happen, believe me. Poppycock, why, son, there's something about this open land round here that cleans out a man's head and his heart, too. You sound like a travelogue. I mean it. A few more days of this and mortal forget there ever was such a thing as a cash register. Yes, sir, give this untamed countryside a chance and it'll cure anything. Oh, yes, well... Marlo, oh, come here, quick! What was that? Wasn't the call of the wild, Mr. Doverman. Lawson, what's the matter? Bill, come on, down to the stable, hurry! Something terrible's happened! How'd you find out about it, Lawson? One of the boys told me. Heard thunder raising a terrible fuss. Come over to check, but by then it was all over. Yeah. Give me the lantern, Harold, will you? Here, here, here you are. Holy smoke. It's Paul Morton, all right. He's been trampled to death. Oh, it's a ghastly accident. And it's all my fault, Phil. I, I knew thunder was dangerous, and I didn't get rid of it. All right, take it easy. Take it easy. Well, There's I... a lot of questions to be answered before anybody takes the... Bl- hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Look at this. Here by the gate. What's just a horseshoe? Stables are full of them, Phil. Yeah, not like this one. Look at it. It's all batted up. Well, all right. It's batted. Well, what's that supposed to be? Nothing yet. But it gives me an idea. Because the last time I saw one of these, it was being pitched at an iron stake behind the bunkhouse. What are you getting at? Well, the chances are at least 50-50 that Paul Morton's death was no accident. It was murder. Just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, perfect musical settings for a Sunday before the 4th will be yours tomorrow afternoon. The symphonette, a half hour of fine orchestral music, and the choral airs, a half hour of brilliant vocal music, are regular Sunday afternoon features on most of these same CBS network stations. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Dude from Manhattan. 
Paul Morton's death, something worse than an accident. Lawson's mouth fell open and the muscles in his face jerked as his eyes moved slowly from me out to the now quiet black stallion in the corral who somehow or other seemed to sense the death at our feet. Then as the trembling man's lips silently formed the word murder, he gestured for me to help him carry Morton's body out of the stable. After that, he looked at the dead man's broken face once more, said he was going to call the sheriff's office and hurried away. A minute later, Judy Morton stepped into the small circle of light that surrounded what only a short time ago had been her husband. But except for a thin line of perspiration above her lips, she was no different than when I'd seen her last. I just passed Buck on my way down here. He told me my husband was dead. Did he tell you anything else, Judy? About how Paul died, I mean? No. It was a stallion, wasn't it? An accident? I doubt it. Why, Marlowe? Well, one thing, this horseshoe, too close to the body. But this is a stable. And this is a horseshoe that's been used exclusively for pitching at a stake in the ground. Here, look at it. And remember, Cowboy Virgil's favorite sport is horseshoes. Besides, what reason would your husband have for coming down here at this hour in the first place? He wasn't too crazy about horses, you know. No, but he was about me. Let's move a little away from here, Marlowe. Cigarette? No, thanks. I'm not coming apart at the seams because it isn't in me. I hated Paul. Hated him with all my heart, Marlowe. I'm down here only because he pleaded with me, begged me to talk to him once more to listen to reason. About what? About the decision I came to less than an hour ago, which was divorce, unconditionally. I thought you said you came out here to try to patch things up. I did. I also said that we weren't doing a very good job of it. Then, tonight, a little after we left you with the bar, Marlowe, I got my hands on the lever I needed to pry myself loose from that jealous maniac. It was the knowledge, Marlowe, that... My late husband was crooked. Silk business? Yes. While he was drinking his dinner, I went to one of his suitcases for an aspirin. Found what instead? At least three dozen samples of the best silks made without any importers or manufacturer's name. And underneath that, $200,000 in cash. I know enough about the silk business to fill in the blanks, Marlowe. Hmm. All of which comes under the heading black market, huh? Yes. I added what I had found to the fact that this dude ranch he had insisted on was close to Los Angeles... Close enough for him to run off and conduct his purchasing while I thought he was communing with nature or playing gin with that Mr. Doverman. Then I had him. Mm-hmm. You also had a divorce, no strings attached, right? Exactly. Blackmail to get rid of your own husband. <laughs> Pretty, isn't it? Yeah. Well, at least with this... this accident or whatever it is, it's no longer necessary. No. Now, Judy, only two things are necessary. One, the location of Virgil Sawyer, and the other, you in your own cabin, where I can ask you some questions later. Why do you want to ask me questions? Well, I might be making a big mistake, baby. But it might be that Virgil and you are out for the 200,000 bucks. You know, honey, that man in the saddle might like money, too. I'll see you. When I started back for the bunkhouse, the only place I knew of that might give me a lead on the strong, silent horseshoe pitcher, I realized that tagging Paul Morton's death for murder was one thing. Proving it was going to be quite another. And when I was there and the place was empty without even signs of a hasty departure, I was sure of it. But not by intuition, as was the gentleman standing in the open doorway watching my every move. Orville Doverman, champion of the wide open spaces, didn't believe that a clean-cut cowboy could be guilty of anything more unrefined than spitting on a pot-bellied stove. Well, oh, I think you're crazy. Buck told me about your finding that horseshoe next to Morton's body and the conclusion you jumped to from there. You're being very hasty, boy, and that's dangerous, and that's the reason I'm here. I don't believe in necktie parties. Necktie parties? A man's got a right to a fair trial. Hey, hold it. Nobody said anything about lynching your hero. I want to find Sawyer, so that if I'm right, we can save the state the time and trouble of a manhunt. But since you brought it up, vigilante, don't scramble for conclusions too quickly yourself. 
I happen to have a little more to go on than the relative position of a horseshoe. Not that idle gossip that's going around. The same. But at the moment, it figures two ways. Virgil's unhappy enough with the status quo to liquidate the city slicker. Or Virgil and the squall light out after a clean start the hard way. Choose one. Nonsense, Marlowe. In either case, and especially the stupid suggestion that the girl and Virgil Sawyer are in cahoots. That I can't believe. Well, sentimental reasons I can't either. Besides, Judy Morton found out enough about her husband within the last hour to make murder for freedom's sake very unnecessary. She learned he was a crook, Mr. D., if you can stand the disillusionment. Oh, no, Marlowe. Yes, and shady dealings in silk. Judy didn't go into details about it, but I gather she found out enough to make him sit up and take notice. And that brings us right back to Virgil. Boots, saddles, and all. Yeah, it does, sort of. And we'll argue the fine points later. But right now, Mr. Doverman, if you want to make sure that everybody gets a square deal, get close to Judy's cabin and stay there. Sentry duty, your object. All right. And if I'm wrong about the cowboy, you've done nothing worse than waste your time. Goodbye. Spent the next 20 minutes talking to cowhands, guests, miscellaneous hired men, any and everybody who might have been able to say he went that away of Virgil Sawyer, with no success. And to make matters worse, when I'd given that up and was on my way back to the lodge to help Lawson wait for the sheriff, I found myself being paged, Howdy. Western style, of course, by no one else but oh, Mrs. Gary Howdy. Doverman, the capital D in Dude Ranch. Howdy. Howdy, ma'am. Oh, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah. Mr. Marlowe, look at this. Look at what I've found. I've struck it rich, you might say, much like the old rustlers. The old uh, rustlers, Mrs. Doverman, stole cattle. Oh? Yes. Oh, yes, so they did. I I guess I meant those panhandle men. Mm. You know, gold is where you find it. (laughs) Anyhow, look, it's a precious stone. Small, but nevertheless precious. Uh Mine while digging for worms, no doubt. Oh, Mr. Marlowe, you're teasing me. Yes. You know very well that this is a polished stone. Funny thing, though, is where I found it. Shall I tell you? Oh, please. Please do, Mrs. Dover. Well, I was just unpacking those clothes that mm-hmm. Orville has sent up from Los Angeles. Yeah. Some slacks and things like that. And, well, when I started to hang a pair up, this fell out of one of the cups. And then... <laughs> now, I wonder how a little old emerald like this ever got there. Well, it was probably mice, Mrs. Dover. Em- emerald? It... Let me see that, quick. Well, yes, of course. But believe me, Mr. Marlowe, it can't be very valuable, I'm sure. I'm not. What are you talking about? Murder, or a reasonable facsimile thereof, and a girl named Judy Morton, if I don't hurry. Goodbye and bless you, Mrs. Doverman. You talk too much, but now was the right time. As I ran for Judy's cabin, I didn't know any more about the whys and wherefores of Paul Morton's death than I had before I made small talk with Mrs. Doverman. But I did know that unless Lady Named Luck and I were on the same team, the Rainbow Ranch was due for a second corpse. When I was close enough to the rough oak door, numbered eight, and Orville Doverman, whom I'd asked to stand guard, was nowhere in sight. The full impact of that responsibility sank into where the wingtips on the butterflies in my stomachs were scratching at my hip pocket until I moved in still closer, and there in the light of a single lamp that was halo enough for me, I saw the girl from Manhattan, nervously lighting one cigarette from the end of another. But more important, very much alive. I didn't bother knocking. Marlowe, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? Honey, I'm uncrossing fingers and toes alike. You know, they've been that way since I realized that I opened my mouth too wide, too soon, which puts you right smack on what used to be known as the spot. Oh, well, that's the way it happened. Yeah, that's the way it... Now, look, Judy, baby, you can't know what I mean yet. It's Doverman, honey, the gin player with all the moving vans. He's the one your husband was buying that black market silk from. I didn't know that until a few minutes ago, which was after I told him where you could be found and that you knew an awful lot. Oh, which, Mr. Marlowe, he thanks you and warns you not to move. Yo. See what I mean, Phil? Yo, sure, I see. 
You know, it's funny, Doberman. When I was outside and didn't see you around, or did see that Judy here was still in good health, I figured that either you had decided to sit tight until you knew exactly how much she did know, or that you already started to run. Yeah, this I didn't count on. And this, Marlowe, should point up what I said earlier about your jumping to conclusions. It's dangerous. Handling hot silk is child's play. Huh? It has been for me for 20 years, Marlowe. For your husband, Mrs. Morton, it was much more. That's why I had to come to you like this. That's why I had to know if his stupidity went so far that even you knew of me. You shouldn't have bothered, Mr. Doberman. I didn't. No, but you see, Marlowe did. That leaves me even. Uh, correction, Doberman. Paul Morton's dead. You're out in front. I didn't kill Morton, Marlowe, and neither did Virgil Sawyer. I saw it all, my friend. So I can tell you that the man who killed Paul Morton was Paul Morton himself. Suicide? Are you out of your mind? No, not suicide, Mrs. Morton. Merely a plan for murder that backfired. The intended victim was you, his wife. Oh, no. Keep talking, Doberman. <laughs> Why, Marlowe? I'd rather keep you guessing. I wouldn't. Duck, baby! Oh! My shoulder! Now the man said keep talking. I, 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 I can't. I'm hit. You'll be again if you don't. Sawyer, no. Stay out of this, Marlowe. Come on, Doberman. I'm not going to ask you again. Look, I'm not even going to let you fall until you tell the okay, rest. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll tell you. I overheard Morton ask him. Some go to your place first, Sawyer. Pick up one of your horseshoes and then... He went to the stables near the black stallion stall. The horseshoe in his hat. Oh, I saw you my shoulder. Come on, Doberman, you're not finished yet. I, I figured that he was going to... To knock his wife out, leave Sawyer's horseshoe where it will be found, then half make it look like an accident that would fool nobody, huh? What went wrong, Doberman? Why didn't it work? Well, he, he approached Thunder from the right side instead of the left. The horse got excited, kicked out, and caught him. That dude. Now... Let go, Sawyer. Sure, Doberman. With pleasure. It was a slow but steady two hours of first aid and questions and answers mixed with a San Bernardino deputy sheriff who couldn't quite get over it before Orville Doberman was on his way to a hospital that featured barred windows. Mrs. Doberman, a complete innocent, was on her way back to Los Angeles. And Buck Lawson, Judy, and I were in the bunkhouse, watching Virgil Sawyer watch a pot full of water boil for coffee, ranch style. Well, you know, you can't ever tell, Marlowe. This whole thing might have just the right effect. Oh. Put the ranch on the map, I mean. <laughs> After all, it was a genuine 100% cowboy who saved the day for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's not right, Buck. Huh? It was Marlowe here. I only followed him. Coffee's ready, folks. Oh, that's for me. Let's go. What uh, (laughs) did make you go up there, Mr. Marlowe? Oh, a little precious stone, Virgil. An emerald that once fell out of Paul Morton's initial ring. But, Marlowe, that happened a long time ago, three, four months. It was just after Paul had returned to uh, New York from Los Angeles. Yeah, and negotiations with Doveman. You see, honey, it was Mrs. Doveman, really, who found the missing emerald tonight and a pair of slacks that Orville had sent up here. Then that was proof that Paul must have been with Doveman in Los Angeles before. Yet they claim to have met for the first time here at the ranch. Uh, Yeah, that's what they claimed. That plus what you told me, Judy, made the man with the moving vans it. And, uh, oh, hey, Virgil, that coffee's hot. Uh, But it's good. (laughs) Well, anyway, since I told Doverman where you were and that you knew your husband had been dealing in black market silks, he took his cue accordingly. Yes, and fortunately, you, yours. Well, that makes it two people who tried to kill me tonight. My husband and his partner. Seldom is heard 
a discouraging word. Oh, fine. And the skies are not cloudy all day. Good night, gentlemen. Virgil Sawyer made good coffee and lots of it. So another hour went by before we finally broke up and I was outside smoking a cigarette and strolling toward my cabin in the start of a vacation that already had been postponed too long. But halfway there, I stopped at the sound of raised voices ahead of me. A man and a woman were arguing violently. And a little away from them, on the porch of my cabin, watching the battle of the sexes with consternation while he waited for me, was Buck Lawson, mine host. <laughs> I turned quickly and hurried back to the bunkhouse where I knew Virgil Sawyer would put me up for the night. Where I knew that early the next morning, I could sneak off, find a quiet, cool stream, and fish. A coyote high in the hill someplace said I had the right idea. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Charlotte Lawrence, Bill Johnstone, Bill Lally, Herb Butterfield, D.J. Thompson, Lou Krugman, and Jack Carrington. The special music is written by Richard O'Rant. <laughs> Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... I went from a mansion in Bel Air to a cheap flat in Southgate, looking for a girl with a secret, who a man in a pork pie had a wise-cracking secretary and a fat corpse didn't want me to find, but who I found anyway because of the quiet number. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.